On December 8th of 1941, Japanese forces invaded Hagatnya, initiating their three-year-long occupation of our island and the Chamorro people. Though we honor in our hearts those that did not live to see the end of the war, we also remember the stories and empathize with our survivors. This is part one of our 75th Liberation Series. Some excerpts of this podcast originally aired on KUAM. On July 15th and 16th in 1944, men and women from Tinta and Faha were massacred by Japanese soldiers in an act of desperation as American forces approached Guam. Ernest Chargalov's father, Juan Cruz Babauta, was one of the fallen during the two-day carnage. <coughs> I cry only because uh, uh, my father is, uh, is a husky guy, you know, he's a very healthy guy. And he's the one that supports us all the time. And uh, I feel so bad that uh, he was one of them that was killed and not, you know, not the one that uh, make it. Uh. Chargaloff recalls the events that occurred during the Marito massacre, where soldiers told people they would be protected while they kept their own evil intentions. While his father is not here to tell his own story, Chargaloff makes sure that he commemorates his father's bravery and martyrdom by sharing his father's journey. I always uh, told him about, uh, you know, the story of what happened and that uh, we just have to uh, pray to God that, uh, you know, my, my dad's okay up in heaven and that uh, we ought to come every, uh, you know, every year to celebrate the uh, memorial of them and, um, and uh, just, to be, just, to, just to think about my dad uh, every year and to, to pray for him. In retelling his father's story, Chargaloff also hopes that he imparts the same sense of remembrance that he carries onto the generations to follow. Like Chargaloff, Rosita Guzman Duenas Diaz was only five years old when the Japanese first arrived. She also recalls the hardships placed upon her family during the war. For her, the Japanese occupation was a time of constant fear and confusion of her and her loved one's fates. From what I recall, it's very torturing that, you know, it's so sad to think about when you look back what they did to my dad. Um, it was actually tortured by Japanese. He's my mom, my dad is a man of all trade. He's, and that time he's a shoemaker, so one of the Japanese got a bag and gave him to make sandals for him. And he, somebody came to claim, you know, and asked him who brought it, he couldn't identify, but um, they tied him on a coconut tree. My mom, my sister, and the little kids were all looking, they were gonna shoot him. And uh, I guess somebody told them who, found, who brought the bag to make that, and so they untied him, and he was a very lucky. Diaz describes her father's near execution experience, a fearful situation in which she didn't know whether or not he would survive. She also talks about her family's journey to Monegan, a walk filled with the perpetual fear that they were being led to their death. But see, when the war started and we had to walk to Monegan, there's uh, my mom was uh, the youngest one was two years old. So we had to carry her, we had all our bags. We woke up to Maniangun, took us only three, four days. And when we came to the camp, we had to build our own camp. And uh, 
we're scared because every time you hear somebody, they we have to run and hide. And with the family walking, and it just so, so, so. While Diaz remains shocked and tearful when talking about her war experience, she embodies the bravery and strength all of our survivors possess. They are willing to share their stories in hopes that we keep them and their sacrifices alive for generations to come. Jose Santos Torres, who was just eight at the start of occupation, touches on his and other children's reality during the war. A lot of things happened to us during the war. One of the things that uh, really affects uh, me is that uh, I was privated with my childhood growing up. You know, I missed it. Uh, I missed quite a bit of it. And uh, the worry is the, the torturing of some of our uh, relatives. Some are being, uh, you know, killed. Those are the worries. And uh, of course, we hear about the massacre and uh, the ladies that are being uh, abused. And I have some of those, uh, I have cousins in that uh, category. And I have aunties that were uh, in that uh, uh, massacre. Torres remembers his school days under the occupation, how cruel the soldiers were to children. His brother was sought out and abused by authorities of the school, eventually leading to his death. During my school uh, time, I, uh, the school in the Japanese uh, time, uh, we experienced a lot. Uh, my brother was killed by the Japanese. Uh, he was. They tell me that he was whistling the national anthem at the time, but uh, I didn't know, I didn't see it, I didn't hear, but I heard that uh, that was uh, what happened. So the teacher actually, uh, you know, the sensei, they call him, took the stick and uh, hit him over the head, uh, I heard many times. And uh, the next day he died from uh, brain hemorrhage. Actually, we work hard to, to try to get uh, you know, the family together during the war. As a child living through the Japanese occupation, Torres was a witness to crimes against humanity no one could fathom. He is one of many who bear memories of death and torture from that time. War, my uncles. I saw my uncle uh, got his uh, head chopped off. They made him dig his grave, make him uh, tie his hand behind him, make him kneel, and he chopped his head off. And I saw my, uh, my friend, my father, they put him on a uh, pool cart with a caramel, and they tie him on the back, tied his hand, and they put uh, dynamite on his uh, hand and blew it up in front of the school. Those are the... Uh, the atrocity that the Japanese uh, brought to us wasn't uh, anything that the Chamorro, uh, you know, like to to hear. Uh, repeating this, that I really uh, it it heals me. Although these stories from the war may be a reminder of the horrifying four years under the imperial forces' control, it also serves as a way to heal and recover for those who lived through it. At nine years old during the bombing of Sumai, Forrest Mendiola Harris talks about the constant moving for survival and the effect it had on his childhood. 
I grew up in Sumai, and I was like uh, nine years old when the bomb, you know, the Japanese bombed Sumai, and uh, so of course we uh, we, we took off. Uh, we uh, ran to Dali, a place uh, still in the military base now, and then we ended up in in uh, Mauricio, and we remained there for about two years. Lived through the war, and then we uh, next thing I know my. My mom and my auntie were were working as uh, I think they were cooks, you know. Um, and so I, I attended school in Mauricio for a while. I'm in the Japanese school, and then San Antonio. Uh, I have a picture to prove that uh, you know we uh, the group of uh, people that I grew up with. And uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just—I just want to say that I'm, I'm lucky that I, you know, I, I lived through the war, in spite of, uh, you know, most people that didn't make it. It's just kind of sad. While Harris and other survivors of the Japanese occupation went on to live to tell their stories, it is a duty of their descendants to ensure that their legacy lives on, and that they are honored for their bravery. In part two of our liberation series, we explore the importance of our survivors and ways in which we work to honor them. PBS Guam in partnership with KUAM Communications present the official live broadcast and online stream of Guam's 75th Annual Liberation Parade. A legacy of peace and friendship. Join us as we commemorate 75 years of freedom and the unwavering fighting spirit of our people. PBS Guam will provide live coverage of the event so you don't miss out on this year's festivities. Tune in to Channel 12 on July 21st at 9.45 a.m. or watch our YouTube live stream to witness this momentous occasion. Biba is Guahan.